Is it time? Yeah, it's time. Welcome to the True Craft Podcast. I am your host, Chris Farman, and I'm joined by co-host, Katie Noel. This time around, we are all about one thing, killer conversations with close friends about the state of craft. Oh, it's going to be good. I hope to open the box on fresh topics while honoring the path that got us here. Let's do it. Welcome to the new <laughs> episode of The True. Let's try that again. No, it's uh, great. <laughs> welcome to the next episode of The True Craft Podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And today we have co-founder, CEO, head honcho, beast. Brother. Brother of... Carbon Four in Madison, Wisconsin, Zach Koga. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah. I good to see you all. You good too. to see you too, man. Good to see you as well. Again. So for all the listeners, if you're wondering how Carbon Four Guards got started, I'm just gonna throw out the same same and I'm going to point you towards season one, episode eight of the True Craft Podcast. This is going to give you a deep uh, deep journey into how Carbon 4 got started. Uh, but Zach, before we get started on our topic today, how has the summer been in Wisconsin? Summer's been okay. The weather's been um, pretty nice and temperate. We we had a bit of a drought, but, but overall, um, it... It, it was good from that standpoint. I would, I, it seems like what we saw and it's, it's something that has been shared with many different people I've talked to is that we, it didn't like pop off as much as we thought it would in the beer world that mm-hmm. I, I was just meeting with a really large uh, customer, like an institutional venue last week. And they had budgeted for a total bounce back to 2019 and they, it didn't happen. So um, it was still summer and and busy and fun and all that, but uh Definitely still some kind of headwind in the system, I think, on the on the beer yeah. side. So yeah. What's the what's the recent festival that you guys have that's just this massive Wisconsin party? Great taste of the Midwest. Yes. Like OG. I think my my understanding, I could be wrong, is that it's maybe the second oldest beer festival in the US. It, it's one of the total OGs of beer festivals. Wow. Really? Um, and it it's a it's a monster. I mean, it's a really good party uh it's in a park right in madison um on one of our lakes and um i think they i think they sell somewhere around seven thousand tickets or seventy thousand tickets and they they still get away with pre-selling them in may and people sleep overnight for tickets so it's kind of neat to see that that energy still does exist in the world you know that we're most other run-of-the-mill festivals it's like you're trying to give away tickets just to get people there but um it's a great sort of institutional uh beer festival and and that's uh it's usually the first or second week week of um of august so is it only wisconsin breweries or do they invite other other states oh yeah other states yep it's um i would, I would call it uh super regional i don't know if it's it it's kind of national but i think it i think it's meant to be a little bit more focused on on kind of regional to super regional 
Um, so how many breweries are pouring? Oh gosh, I don't, I don't know if I remember that number off the top of my head, but it's a ton. It's um, oh, at least yeah, it's, at least a hundred. Wow, uh, that's huge. I'm, gonna, I'm like googling it here quickly while we're talking because I, I was I, this came up just the other day, and I'm like. I don't know if I have that number in my head, how many, but it's a ton. It It's overwhelmingly big. I mean, I don't think it's quite, it's not quite GABF, but it's, it's like, you can't get through it. I mean, you Sounds can walk like around it. the whole thing, but you can't drink through it. <laughs> it's, it's wow. You'll have to have like, like a, like a half of a sip of every beer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You really have to meter yourself to, to get, to get everywhere you want to get. It's, it's a great great festival though and it's in a city park uh and food trucks and um i think they've done some education stuff and presentation stuff under some of the big tents and everybody kind of throws holds out throws out all the stops and and does a lot of gimmicky you know stuff like we've i know we used to do like a beer arcade we'd pop up a whole mobile arcade for our stand with some other breweries and um all sorts of things they have a real ale tent and um, it, it's, it's a great kind of old school beer festival that, that still is really strong. That's awesome. Oh, so, yeah, that's awesome. All right. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of today's conversation. And, and that has to do with contract brewing, contract brewing. So I would say about two years ago, I saw the writing on the wall that there was going to be a ton of capacity. There was going to be a ton of capacity and in a lot of my talks, I talk about the profit margin in wholesale versus the profit margin in retail, tap room, pub. And somewhere in the middle of that, somewhere in the middle of that graph landed landed contract brewing. And we came up with our own pricing methodology for contract brewing for our customers and we shared it with them. But share carb, can you tell us about Carbon 4's experience with contract brewing and kind of the what you guys have done with it and, and, and how is it, how is it going? Uh, I would say it's going, it's going pretty well. It, it's a big part of what's keeping us going here, you know, from last year into this year, um, mm -hmm. just with how it, inflation and, and COVID has impacted our, our general like profitability and model. Um, so it, it's a crucial piece of our business now, and we're trying to grow it a little bit going forward. And and not just grow it forever and ever, grow grow it to kind of right size the the facility we have. So we're we're still kind of a boutique high end you know version of of craft or contract brewing. But mm -hmm. um, it it came about we we saw it as I mean we always saw it as um it it's 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 the model in manufacturing globally right across all industry contract manufacturing, co-packing, co-man, yep. whatever, you know, it, that's everything. It's, it's Kirkland's fest. It's, it's Trader everything. Joe's. It's everything. Yeah, Trader Joe's. It, it's, it's all the things it, it, um, your iPhone is made by Samsung and Foxconn and, you know, like it, I don't think people realize how much everything that they have is really made by in some facility in the, and, but you're experiencing the brand and, hmm. and, I, and, um, yeah, so, definitely so, didn't. Go, yeah, you didn't know that, can you? I don't you think so. In, oh, everything. I mean, you're basically everything. Which so that's part of what's been kind of fun and novel about craft beer that I don't think we realize is just Joe consumer 
is is you're attracted to this connection to your producer. I mean, we know that talking point that it's, oh, I know, you know, I know the brewer, they live here and they're local and all that. But I think part of what we miss is that we we um we don't realize how disconnected we are from the manufacturing of basically every other product that that's mm-hmm. not made by the brand that we're that we're uh that we think it is. You know, I now that I've gotten into this, I'm aware of food plants where they're they're making a food product and it's just like change label, keep running, <laughs> you know, and, and that's that really is true for many, many, many things. Um so anyway, that just the fact that we 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 came to um understand that more about the world going through just growing over the years of of being in this business. And then it, as we were in the kind of 2018-2019 time frame, I feel like I started ramping up my thinking and discussions with peers about hey, at some point our industry is going to have to consolidate the manufacturing side at least. You'll you'll certainly see some some brands that are struggling um, or business models that are struggling have to go away because we've had such an inflation in number of breweries and and then skews per brewery to me is a sign of unhealth. Um, so it, it just seemed like the writing was on the wall that oh. there's got to be like this dairy co-op, you know, kind of model or even the hop co-ops where they where they join together to buy the pelletizing machines to to make the hop pellets because it's extremely expensive to do that. Um, and there's I, a sustainability I, element to that too. Oh yeah. 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 That, that sounds like it'd be a, a good thing. It's a hugely good thing because the craft beer industry was, was the, the number, the number in my head comes from uh, Mr. Wonderful and Shark Tank when one of the Wisconsin breweries went on Shark Tank years ago and, and Kevin O'Leary put them, you know, put it to them and said, I know your industry, your industry is 60% overbuilt. You know, the, the whole industry shops operating about 40% hmm. of what they can really make in built infrastructure, which doesn't work. Why would you ever build a brewery? I'm not, you know, based, you know, he did his old, like Mr. Wonderful, like get out of my face kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I thought, wow, I like, I think he's, he's right. You know, that's part of this idea of hmm. it doesn't make any sense to have to have 20 breweries in, in a town and the amount of cans that they're making could be made on one can line and they all have a canning line. That's not good for the environment. It's not good for business. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. You can't, you can't um, pay all of those employees as much as you'd like to, because you're, you're just cutting the pie up too much. Uh, so anyway, that, that was just sort of like a, a, a general thought um, pre COVID and then, and then when we hit COVID and and everything got blown up, um, we started jumping into um, some some contract packaging work to help people around us and and say, hey, there, there's all these brew pubs around us that I they don't have any they don't have a can line, you know, they're probably struggling to coordinate mobile canning or maybe they don't have the right minimums for it. They probably have a whole bunch of kegs that they're stuck on because all these kegs you know, went to zero. We, we went through all of our, like we pushed all of our kegs back into tanks and packaged them. That was like the first thing we did in COVID was said, okay, quick, before the beer gets old, send everything back to us. We're going to push it into tanks. We're going to put it in a package. We're going to sell it back out. And that was one of the best things we ever did. Our distributors loved us for it. You know, we, it worked well for us. It kept beer moving. And then we started calling our peers to say, 
let, let's do this for you. And I'll, you know, I'll be as cheap as I can because I want to help you just have a product to sell. Um, so that was our initial launch into it. And then it ramped up into actually taking on a more formal soup to nuts contract, you know, customer or two. And then as we got into 21, 22 and, and volume soft costs are soaring, we, we really saw it as, wow, we have to double our output on this, on this packaging line mm-hmm. um, or, or we're cooked. And so we invested in a little bit better packaging line and, and we've been trying to grow our contract business ever since. So what I'm hearing as you're describing all this is the, the necessity to be able to adapt to the industry. And some of that is COVID, but I feel like this, call me crazy, but I feel like some of this would have been true regardless if that hadn't happened. Like, yes, and so, yeah, that's what I'm noting. I think it's really interesting. And I think having a pulse on the industry as a brewery owner is what's going to sink or float your ship. Oh, de- Yeah, definitely. COVID just accelerated what was happening yeah. in so many ways, hybrid work and all sorts of things. I mean, it, it, there was a lot of other crap too, but there was, you know, from an industry standpoint, like consumers are still buying the things that they want. And um, those, those choices just got made faster for them, you know, and the the way that they're engaging with going out and staying in and whatever, having parties, having beers at a bar, that a lot of things got accelerated. Um, so yeah, I, I agree that we were kind of already on this path. I mean, I remember like distinctly late 2019 talking to my main wholesale contact and and having like this this discussion of it's got to shake out right like there's just too many skews it doesn't make sense you know look at the plan we have for next year and and then like boom covid hits and (laughs) things start changing even faster crazy so you said something earlier that i never put the two and two together but it's it's just brilliant you said uh stuff is made in places that people would never imagine and it's the connection to the brand is what keeps them going back, right? It's the connection yeah. to the brand, which is which is really huge. And I know one of the talking points for me since COVID over the past two years has been breweries have to take a real strong look at their occupancy costs. And they've got to t- take a real strong look at market rents whenever that lease comes, comes renewal. Because at some point, you're never going to produce that much beer to 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 meet to meet that market rent and we know what covid did right it it increased it it increased rent across the board it increased rent in the suburbs in urban locations in sports locations like it just increased the 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 cost of occupancy and rent across the board so where i'm going with this is is um and and also back to the mr wonderful reference right if you have a brand and you are confident enough to get people connected to that brand, why would you move into a new facility? Why would you go raise four million bucks, two million bucks to build a new facility versus finding the best partner? Number one, helping them stay in business, right? A local co-packer, to, uh, lo- local contractor to help stay in business. Number two, you can have your your QAQC on it all day long since it is local. And, and, and number three, you don't have to worry about a facility. You don't have to worry about the CapEx and the repairs and maintenance. And yeah. so this has been a big, you know, beating stick for me. But but I think we're we're getting to a divide. And, and Katie and I 
recorded something a couple of days ago on the purpose of wholesale. And I think, Katie, we need to record something on the purpose of having your own facility, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The purpose of having your own location, because that's going to become uncool in, in the near future. Or once again, it's just going to, it's going to wash out the, the, the people who are, are stubborn just as wholesale is washing out the people who are stubborn and are st- continuing to send out SKUs that are, are, are losing money. Right. So let me kind of, let me kind of think about that for a minute, but that's huge. The connection to the brand and, and, and leaning on, on wholesalers. Um, I think that's, that would be scary for some brewers. Yeah, I think it's still important to provide a sense of place. So I think the tap room is still a key function, you know, to, to be, in your community physically as a small brand, I think is still a huge part of the connection, mm-hmm. but, but that the the next step of you have to make that liquid exactly in this location to me is something that's kind of already, um, you know, the umbilical cord has been cut a little, yep. um, it's, it's not the that past, it's a bad sure. thing to be able to show it, but there's all sorts of examples of um, that's not exactly what people are looking for. They can still feel connected to you and you're, you're still you, you know, at the tap room, yeah. uh, exactly how you manufacture it. You know, they're, they're sort of trusting you to, to do that. So that can be a co-packer. It can be a co-op. It can be just a warehouse that's down the road because it's cheaper, you know, that like it, it doesn't matter as much, um, that it's, that it's right there. And, and I, it's something we're thinking about because we're in our building, we have our production and our tap room jammed together. Our location is really far from ideal for a tap room. And I think that's the case for a lot of breweries. Um, and that's starting to catch up to us a little that mm-hmm. we, we really should have a stronger retail thing. Mm-hmm. Asset, and you can't do that here. So what do we do about it? We got, we got good rent from a production standpoint. We got really cheap rent from a tap room standpoint, but we don't have that top line revenue in the tap room that we'd really be looking for. And how do we, you know, especially as we take on more contract, you know, there's, there's some thoughts about what to do about that. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when you are considering taking on a new contractee, uh, is does size matter? Does, does commitment matter? Like walk us through what you're thinking whenever someone comes to you and says, I need you to produce something for me. It, it does. Um, the the big thing I look at is that in my model, I need to be filling and emptying full tanks, right? Because yeah. that's you have you have a piece of equipment and square foot space in the brewery. Those tanks need to be full when I use them because it's the same amount of work to set them up and to clean them and all that stuff. So they better be full. Um, so when I'm working with customers, that's where I'm usually starting. I say, hey, I this is where I'd really like to be as I want a full day from you, which is two full tanks on a packaging line. But, you know, our position here is we're not going to be the cheapest contract option out there is, is to be a little bit more flexible and say, I'm not going to lock you into these big production commitments for the whole year or for three years. I'm going to take you through a process where if you need us to develop the drink for you, I'm going to charge you for that. And it's reasonable, but there's going to be kind of some charges I can do on the front end. Um, because we need one of the things we found is that you do all this work to set up a, a whatever it is, beer or something else, and it's one tank and that's it. Well, I just did all this onboarding work 
Sure. And, you know, and, and now it's one tank and gone. So I've, I've learned to start charging a little bit for some of that front end work. So if it's one tank and gone, at least I got a few bucks. Um, and then, and then batches, I want them to be full tanks. And if it's not a full tank, I need to have some good reasons why. W one of the things I might do is just charge a premium per case. If it's less than a full tank, if it's a different situation where we're, we're highly confident that we're doing a lot more and we just need a smaller start for some beta reason, then, then I'll look at it. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at making sure that when I analyze our overall business, if I can fill an empty two full tanks a day, I can get to the place I need to go. So when I'm bringing in business, I'm just trying to fill tanks. Okay. I have a question. Go ahead, Katie. So in my mind, when I've thought about contract brewing, I have pictured people coming to you with their own recipes and their own beer, like that you are just using your tanks for. So what I'm hearing is that you're also at times coming up with recipes. Oh, yeah. So yeah. how what's the split? Like how much more like what percentage are you coming up with the beer and what percentage are you just kind of plugging away at what other people Already have I, I would say when it's when it's beer, um, maybe about a half to two thirds. They have a, a a fairly specific sense of what they want the beer to be, and they might have a real specific recipe. But there's kind of a spectrum of well, I know I know I want this particular you know I want I want this an October hop or something. Yeah, I want an Oktoberfest. And I might have an exact recipe for that, but I also expect you to fix it or change it or whatever, you know, or Interesting. some IPA or whatever, it, because Ryan's got almost 20 years brewing. And then our quality manager, Joe Waltz, is probably the smartest beer guy, I don't know, in the Midwest, in the state. Like he, he's really, really highly respected and he's incredibly intelligent. He's a huge beer nerd. And no matter what people bring us, Joe usually has something to say and people listen. <laughs> They're like, hmm. he's he's usually like, tell me what you're trying to do here or what your real romantic connections are or your yeah. visions about brands of malts. But I'm going to tell you maybe how to do this a little differently, especially for our equipment, because every brew house is going to be a little different. So almost basically always we're, we're tweaking it. Okay. I, That's um, so interesting. Yeah, there's a lot more involvement on your guys's end than I expected. Yeah, like there, I, there definitely is. I don't know that that's always the case. I think that contract brewing is broadly done been done pretty poorly. Um, and I and so. I think that quality is an issue in the whole industry. So I I think it's I think it's it would be safe to say it's the minority of breweries that are really putting out super high quality beer all the time. It's very difficult to do it. I would say that we, you know, unbeknownst to us, because bringing in Joe over the last few years, we've realized how many things we could improve. There's times where we were being way more inconsistent than we ever thought we were or should be. And um, I, I would say we're, that's a real value to add for our customers that they trust us, that we actually care about the recipes that we want to make sure that the things are right and that we're going to change it with them on the front end. And, and, you know, you're, you're paying for that, that, that you're getting a little smaller batch and you're probably getting a better quality product than you'd make yourself. Like that's, that's kind of the premium that we're, that we are. Cool. Cir circling back. I'm sorry, Kate, circling back to the, the tank size. What, what size tanks do you 
would you like to what size tanks do you use um our our fermenters we have our, we have one 15 barrel tank one one 15 fermenter one 15 bright so we have that kind of really small batch option but it's it it's it gets log jammed because yeah. it's only one tank if, if people want single turn batches and then we have three 30 barrel fermenters and we have um uh nine 45 barrel fermenters Dude. and then we have like we have uh five 40 barrel brights and 115 so generally speaking we're trying to do like a 45 barrel batch that we're we're really targeting that broadly but we can do the 15 or 30 it it really isn't though it, you know kate i don't know if katie everyone heard her she just said it's huge you're actually in a good spot uh for a lot of our other customers and a lot of people i talk to they're they can only brew into 6090s or 120s and that's yeah. where it gets really hairy oh interesting yep. And, yeah. and they're, they're just kind of like, we got to let this tank sit. We're not going to put 15 barrel, 30 barrels in a 90 barrel tank. Hmm. Yeah. We're just not doing it. So you guys are built for this. It's, it sounds to me like you're we're a Swiss army knife. We, we can yeah. take, we tell brands, we're like, Hey, we can do a 15 barrel cake batch for you. We're not, that's not what I'm trying to do all day, but I, it's possible, you know, or I can take you to 50,000 cases or a hundred thousand cases. I'm like, so I can really cover some ground my i would say my target my ideal target is probably a brewery my what would be my favorite it's not exactly what we have is probably about a thousand uh um a thousand to three four five thousand barrel brewery that that packages because we're, we're going to be a great sweet spot for them where we can do really high quality stuff we we do have a, an aggressive enough price that they can work with it um and we can scale them in that scale no problem and i could probably have more than one of those right now i have a couple breweries that are a handful of breweries that are more like the 500 to 1000 barrel range and and a couple that we're looking at that are over that um and then we have our own we have i mean our our carbon four beer is still the bulk of what we make um yes. that's that's a little under 10 so okay how how hands on are you with the whole contract brewing process? Oh, very much. Okay. I mean, it's me and Ryan, you know, Ryan and I, my brother are, I, I probably spend a little bit more of that like front end sales effort of look, manage the pipeline, look at what the holes are and, and what we're trying to fill and what the goal is. And then what are some good targets for what would fill those holes, you know, which breweries in the state or, or it might even be not even beer um, and try to work through finding those people and, and bring them in a little bit. And then, um, and then there's kind of a, like a, if, if I have a fish on, you know, if we have like a real prospect, get Ryan involved and, and start talking Turkey about what the, what the beer or the product's going to be. And then as it hands off into like benchtop testing and recipes, that really just goes to Ryan. And then we have another colleague here, Dan, that's that's in the process. And he'll, I've built a pricing model where he can kind of on his own be able to react to pricing and billing without me needing to look over the shoulder the whole time and slow it down. So once we bring someone in, it's there's a group of about three or four of us um, that that are handling them. But I I'm more of like the like get it into the funnel and and hand it off to the team and then monitor along the way and 
make sure that the pipeline's going to stay full, which. Could you um, see that being its own position in the brewery someday, or do you think you'll keep your hands on it? I, there's not a lot of room for like isolated jobs, you know, it's still That's small fair. scale. So yes, but I think that, I think that the combination of the things I'm doing and probably what Dan's doing could just be one person. Um, so um, cause I'm still dealing with everything else, marketing and tap room and accounting and different things. So, um, yeah, I think, I think, I think the supply chain kind of production manager role, uh, if I can, you know, that, that could grow as sort of a funnel filling like sales input role too, and not have it be me. Um, do you lean towards certain styles that you want to contract brew or will you entertain any style? We'll do anything. We've, we've really been very successful with hazies and sours and yep. loggers. Now loggers are slow. So that's my point. That's not, you know, that Tank time. That, that dog doesn't hunt sometimes, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's, it, it's fun beer to make. It's beer that we want to make and do really well. It just, it takes time. So we we usually talk about that. We usually talk about yeast decisions and and doing some pilot work on when we're in those categories, which hurts a little because we, you know, making a traditional pilsner or lager like is is fun. That's good beer stuff. That's that's a thousand year old beer stuff. So um, we like to do that where we can. Um, but it's but it's tough. It comes up the schedule. So we're happy when it's a fast turnaround beer. Or if it's a blend and package product like a, like lemonade or cannabis or soda or something else, so. Ooh, let's talk about cannabis. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to go next. I was like, you mentioned yeah. non-beer stuff. That was my yeah. next too. <laughs> so when I looked at what we could do, I, I we built a brewery that would would max out around fifteen thousand barrels, depending on the mix of lagers and ales. You know, it could go to sixteen five maybe or fourteen five. Um, but when I look at filling and emptying two tanks a day on the packaging line, that's more like 20,000 barrels. And that's, that's more like the level that to me, we have to be at to really have enough revenue and enough things going on to be healthy. Um, so the only way to get there is to fill in the packaging line between all the beer that's fermenting. And so we, we needed to start looking for ways to get into that blend and package, you know, NA market. It and the first big foray into it was Ryan and I acquired Wisco Pop, which is a like organic fruit soda company and they have sparkling water as well and and contracted it to ourselves. So we went out and and got, you know, debt separately and 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 have K4 run it to fill that to fill that hole in our schedule. And then and also to kind of learn and test that for seeking new other customers in that in that space whether it's going to be cannabis or other soda type things so that was the beginning of getting into the na world was was that and that was uh what was that that was 2022 beginning mm -hmm. of 2022 we took that on so uh how, how have you enjoyed making the soda and the soda brand and building the soda brand and do you recommend other breweries consider this but absolutely, because blend and package beverage is way better business than beer. <laughs> it not not from a margin standpoint, but from a from like a production density standpoint, you, there's just less 
time, you know, that goes into it. And it, it's the same packaging line, it's the same tanks, you know, but you can, you know, if you can find the business or build a brand that, that can really go, boy, when you can blend, when you can kind of do, depending on the product, you might still be in the brew house to do a kill step or like a, you know, dissolve sugar, you know, with heat, hot water step. So may, maybe it's a two day process and you're packaging on day three. You know, if you're, if you're touching the brew house and doing, doing a step with the fruit on day one, making sure it's cooled and carved all the way by day two, package day three, depending on exactly how you do that, you could package on day two, or if you're this big, you know, soda manufacturer, you could, you blend it and package it at the, at the same time. So that that's just a bit for the same product category for the same type of equipment, you, you can make way more of it. Um, so just on a raw business standpoint, it's a really great idea. It's not everybody's passion project that's in beer. So, so that's hard. Um, but we, we have liked it. It's been a pain in the butt, you know, dealing with that much fruit is different. Um, being in sleek cans more is different. Um, the, the, the different canning issues you have with foaming and how the liquid behaves is different. The food safety issues are different because you don't have alcohol. That's, that's, killing everything and keeping everything safe. Um, so there's a lot more challenges, but I would say over almost two years now, we have learned so much more about, about just beverage in general. And I think it's made us a lot better, even as it goes back to the beer and, and better operators of the filling equipment. So it, it's been great. And then it un has unlocked so many great opportunities. One is um, the Wisconsin Union here on campus at UW-Madison is this this huge, really vibrant um, sort of entity on campus. And their main Memorial Union building on the lake has the Union Terrace. And it's like an all-time patio on the lake, just like the best place on earth, in my opinion. And I've, I've always gone there, you know, just as a consumer and alum. And they reached out to us this year and we developed uh, lemonade drinks for them on under their brand. So now we're a licensed beverage manufacturer of the UW and nice. who knows what else is going to fall out of that tree. I already have a request for like three more beverages they want. Wow. And we didn't, we didn't even get into motion W's and Bucky Badger. This is just like union Terrace. So that's a big unlock. It, it's a big unlock when you talk to, um, other companies too, like the local co-op, I've thrown an idea at them of if they want to make a branded, you know, organic fruit drink of some kind, we can do that. Um, and then cannabis, I I think THC beverages are gonna are gonna be a monster. I think it's gonna be a slow, steady climb, not the gold rush that everybody wants it to be. But but in my mind, um, as the whole cannabis thing plays out here over the next 10 years. I, I really see edibles and beverage being the 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 big behemoth of the segment because it it really takes the stigma away from it. You get away from smoking, and there's so much you know so much going on with smoking, whether it's vaping or smoking the flower. Um, and and I think people are really going to respond to like a beverage in a sleek can. I, it just totally changes the stigma of of what that, mm -hmm. that kind of product is, and you can put it into a bar setting and at a low dose and, and sort of replace it with wine or beer. And um, when you, yeah, I, when you reference yeah. THC, are you talking about the Delta eight and Delta nine strands or the stuff that's federally legal that I'm seeing pop up all over the place? Or are you talking about like the, 
like THC, like regular. So, so regular THC, you know, as, as we knew it growing up is, is Delta nine THC. That's okay. like, like D nine THC is that's your like normal natural okay. THC. That's the, the, the cannabinoid, you know, on the spectrum that gets you high. That's the one that everybody like thinks of. There's, there's, dozens if not a hundred or 200 of like different types of cannabinoids d9 thc is the one that makes you high okay the main one and and so this is it hemp hemp is just a a marijuana plant that was harvested before it went over 0.3 percent by dry weight d9 thc so delta 9 thc so they're the same plant it's the same molecule they, they just breed it and harvest it to under index on Delta nine THC, which keeps it legal. And it's called hemp now. Okay. So as long so as the hemp derived THC, yes, hemp derived. So as long as that THC came from hemp, you, you can use it. And, and there's a lot of gray area about how you can use it, but they also really can't enforce it much. So it, there's this weird gray area of, we're kind of learning and I think we're part of the tip of the spear here in Wisconsin because we're trying to be good partners with DACAP, the state agency here locally. That's like, they don't know how the heck to regulate this because they really don't have any rules to work with. Yep. But we've kind of figured out that you can pretty much make a regular THC product, but you, you just have to make sure that you got it from hemp and that, and that it's actually produced as a food product. And, and now you you're producing <laughs> you know, a drink or they're already being done in gummies and tinctures and all these other things that we're used to. The drink is really no different. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I am predicting that the Cannabev is, was what I refer to it as. I I'm predicting that Cannabev helps the capacity issues in craft, meaning I, it fills yeah. it. I It's got to, right. Cause why is, why is Tilray and all, and all these people, buying breweries all over the country. To me, it's let's regionalize production in these small facilities so that we manage uh, trucking costs and, and distribution costs out to, you know, those those market areas and, and have kind of a distributed manufacturing network. And we're going to go buy them cheap because they're existing and sitting here as bottling and canning plants. I, I, to me, I have to think the smart money is betting the same thing because that's what they're doing. I mean, bud, but is the money behind Tilray is my understanding and Tilray's out there buying all these breweries just to have manufacturing capacity. Right. <clears throat> so what I'm and, hearing uh, from you, Zach, as you talk over the course of this episode is just your, your skill set and adaptability is kind of mind blowing to me, <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with you. Like, like I want to understand how you've, if it's just like innate to you or what goes through your mind when you're assessing like the state of the industry and then going to make decisions for the success of your business? Like, how do you, how do you do it? At survival. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I appreciate the compliment. Um, it doesn't feel all that smart, you know, or, or skilled as it's playing out because it's really survival. It's just trying to be really uh, aware um, and honest about what's going on. You know, what, what's happening in our industry, what's happening to our brand, what's happening to our town, what, you know, what's happening to our business and what can we do about it? And let's work the problem. I, 
I, I think I have I have two advantages maybe is is one is that um I I have an engineering degree from the UW Madison and I any young kid that says what should I do at school I'm like just get an engineering degree <laughs> like you don't need to know what you want to do that's funny get an engineering degree if you want school to actually be worth going to do that because you're going to learn how to be a professional problem solver that's what engineers are they take big hairy things and they 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 teach you how to break it down into little pieces and put the pieces back together again and tweak all the pieces. That's all engineering is. And then it's just what it, whether it's molecules or chemicals or buildings, they teach you how to be a problem solver and and at a really sophisticated level, I think. So I, having that background helps because I don't I don't look at the problem and think, oh, it's this big hairy problem. I I'm always looking at the parts hmm. and how can we play with them. What do we have? And and the the second advantage I have is that I wasn't a beer guy. Like I I didn't come in as a I didn't come in as a home brewer or beer nerd. I didn't have any romantic connection to craft beer. I got brought into beer through my brother, who was a brewmaster out in Montana. And even he's not a huge beer nerd. I mean, he he got he threw his whole life into this, but he he can barely drink any beer because he gets drunk so fast. Um, so we have the advantage of not having some of those really deep kind of like stubborn romantic notions of of beer and only beer or only a type of beer i think in some cases that's been a real disadvantage to us because maybe we don't resonate exactly right with the nerds um although we do try to bring it for them um but then on this business side i think it's kept us really flexible that we're willing to we're willing to try things we're willing to be curious and and try stuff and and look at the reality of the situation and say, well, we need to, you know, the only way we last is if we're filling and emptying two tanks a day. Well, how do we do that? Yeah. And, and, and it sounds like you have like going into the, the NA beverages and, and then it's also interesting to see how in turn stepping into that has positively impacted how you make your beer. Absolutely. Like that that's cool. You know, like I agree. Yeah. That adaptability has in turn positively affected carbon four. You know, yeah, like, it makes us way better operators. We're way more hyper aware of of our weaknesses and and things that we were overlooking, you know, when you're doing beer kind of the old fashioned way. Yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna add to everything that Zach said. I mean, as as an entrepreneur, if you're not if you don't have your finger on the pulse and just have your spidey senses of what's happening within your industry with complementing industries with competing industries you're just not going to make it right you're just you're going to be a sitting sure. duck and and yeah this idea of being overbuilt as an industry the the reactions that i got to that over the years and still get to that is just like what are you saying to me like well how could i ever even consider making beer together and i'm like how could you not Right. Like, good luck you, out there. You look at your, you know, <laughs> like don't you look at your costs? Like I, I have the same things you have. Like, yeah, there's there are some, way. there are some beating sticks. That, that's what I call this whole wholesale thing. There are some beating sticks that Katie and I are going to break. We're going to break through this podcast. We're going to beat the. We're going to break the beating sticks of this industry. All right. We're, call it a pulpit. Call it a, a, a yeah. you know, a. a a um badge of honor we're gonna, we're gonna rip badges of honor off we're, we're done we're done I, yeah i am no so more honor in the beer like <laughs> romance and i don't know i 
I maybe it's the engineer in me, or maybe I'm just like getting cynical, but I I find like the romantic biased view of anything just so like boring and ignorant. I I don't know. It's so um it's so blind. Like it's yep. not interesting. It doesn't adapt. It doesn't move forward. It's not honest. You know, I, I maybe honesty is the real core of it for me that if it's if it's romantic and these other things, it's not honest. It's not self-aware. And and so it's it's just like, no, I don't want to be that. I, you know, I want to we we want to make it's both and right. I want to make mm-hmm. really awesome beer because that's a lot of fun and the beer industry is great. And I want to have a business that's healthy and I want to have a manufacturing facility that's actually running at capacity um, right. and these other things. It reminds me of a conversation Chris and I have been having around the purpose of distribution and why are people distributing you know like is it because it's good marketing strategy or is it because ego yeah you you beat me to it it's ego a lot of the time I think it is and like are you running a business to sink it or are you just you want to be popular or what is it like those are harsh words but it's it's ego it's popularity yeah I can tell you unequivocally it is because my contract experience People that have no business, there's absolutely no case for putting cases of things out there. And that's what they want to do because they want, you know, they want the fame. They want the fame of it. They want their product to sit on a shelf. It's interesting. Speaking of that, in your ancillary services, I was going to ask this earlier and I forgot, but in your ancillary services, do you ever look at someone and give them a shot of truth serum and be like, yes, you don't have a distributor. You want us to make X amount of beer. You have a tap room that's doing X amount. Like, this sounds like you're going to be drinking from a fire hose. Can you drink from a fire hose? Yeah, I I always do that. Yeah, um, be responsible. I am. Yeah, I'm, it's just to, and it's not like some Batman, you know, Dark Knight feeling. It's just kind of. I think I'm. I'm just a. I try. I'm a little bit blunt, and I'm not always tactful. And and I'll I'll say it, like, why are you, why are you doing this? And Chris, <laughs> like, all of us are raising our hands stupid, for this. You know? <laughs> This is not a good idea, even though it's good for me. And I'll tell them, I'm like, well, it's good for me. I'll make it for you, but you're going to give me a deposit and pay me right away. Cause you know, I think this is the wrong plan. A lot of times we get them steered a little bit because of that. And they really appreciate it, you know, and because you and I both know, you and I both know there are co-packers out there that do not do that. Oh, they don't care. Just make it. Well, it's business to them. You know, it's like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's interesting. We're, we're like a quasi consultant when we bring anybody we bring in, absolutely yeah. anybody. We we talk about what are you doing now? Where are you selling it now? Because it doesn't, it, it also helps me understand very quickly if the full tank, partial tank thing. If I talk to them and they have a real business and a real product, I'm a little bit more willing to make a partial tank because there's a real reason for them to have less to start. And I fully expect them to keep going. When I get a sense of where they're at and I'm like, this is a bad idea. I'm going to say, nope, you're filling a tank and I'm getting paid and see you later. I'm not, I, I'm going to take you off the pipeline because I know you're not coming back, you know? Yeah. So it, you turn people away. It helps. Yeah. It helps me for planning and just knowing what they might come back with, but I also don't want them to go burn a bunch of money and get stuck on 500 cases of some drink they're not going to sell. So right. that's the biggest problem in cannabis, by the way. The, the distribution side of it is totally not happening yet. All the alcohol wholesalers are are concerned about their federal wholesale permit. Yep. 
Yep. And and I get that. Um, so the biggest problem we have there is almost everything is like one and done because they hmm. they think it's a gold rush and they think if they just make THC and put put their label on it, it'll sell. But then I kind of ask, well, where are you going to sell it? Do you have a store? Do you have 10 stores? Are you going to go deliver it? And they're like, oh, you know, yeah, we got it. And you make cases and they sit or they have one wholesaler that's committed to it. They bring in one round and then they're stuck on it because they just can't. Yep. They, that the the engine's not rolling there yet so zach you're a wealth of knowledge man i we could go on and on and on where can people number one can people reach out to you if they have any questions about this topic uh contract brewing probably just email me at zach at carbon four well, do you mind if they do you mind if they reach out uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully I don't expect to get bombarded, but I, I have a lot of unread emails. So I, I apologize if I'm slow to respond, but, um, that's probably the, I don't have like a contract sales email set up. It's just me kind of looking at, sure. at the world and trying to find local people to work with. And it doesn't have to be local. We've talked to brands around the country too, but we're going to do best, you know, in the Midwest just for logistical purposes. So what if, what if a brewery wants to start contracting and has questions? Oh, um, yeah, I, I, I'd be happy to share, share a little bit of wisdom. Yeah. I would love for this to turn yeah. into a sales sales bonanza for you, but I doubt that's, I, I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not yeah. It's not why I'm doing it. I'm just, right. I just wanted to see you, your pretty face, Chris. So yeah, I, you, I, you too, bro, but you're a wealth of knowledge. I mean, you have so much experience in this and you've, I'm sure you've hit the speed bumps and you've hit the walls and you've bounced back. Oh, and we're and, still doing it. Yeah. We, geez, even I mean, though I'm, I'm learning all this, we're still like, we're, we're dancing on a razor's edge right now. I'm I'm trying to make sure we keep the pipeline full going through winter. You know, we, we did extremely grow. dangerous, Zach. Oh, it's it is. careful out there. You cut your toes very easily. <laughs> so we, we still have a lot of work to do to keep the pipeline full. I mean, we're in the middle third of the year, we're doing great. And in the colder months, it's, it's still thin. So um, we're working on it. Where can people learn more about carbon four? Just, just the brand in general. Uh, carbon4.com is our website. Uh, Facebook and Instagram is the stuff that gets updated daily, you know, versus yep. kind of the general info on the website. So, so there's that, just Google us. There's stories and things that it's, we've done here over the years. So it's no, carbon no, with a K and the number four. Yep. Carbon, carbon. K-A-R-B-E-N, the number four. Yep. And we're in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'll nice. throw this all in the show notes as well. All right. Buddy, thank you so much. I really learned a lot today and really love this conversation. Loved yep. it. Always love talking to you. Great to see and great to see you on the video here, Katie. Yes, for nice to meet you. Highlight your whatever two years ago. So <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Cool. Thank you. Thanks yep. so much. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the True Craft Podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you are just dying to know what Chris and I look like, you can head over to YouTube for a video recording of the show. Links to cool information about our guests and other fun facts can be found in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by Small Batch Standard, the premier financial agency built to serve the craft brewing industry. We help craft breweries grow profits through outsourced accounting, tax compliance, and growth consulting. Visit sbstandard.com today to learn more and request a discovery call.